0: I don't know if it's to you specifically, but Mm -hmm. I think it's to your long, uh, just memorable pieces on Against the Grain.
1: On this episode of Against the Grain, we'll get the the behind-the-scenes story of how they made the new Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix, and I'll make a case for Joe Burrow to just say no to Cincinnati.
0: We are cutting Against the Grain. Against the Grain. Against the Grain. Against the Grain. Your host for Against the Grain, Against the grain. here's Andrew Perloff. The
1: grain. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Perloff. I'm here with Mario Miranda, who produces and weighs in. Uh, did you lose any bets, Mario?
2: No. I Actually, I have a really good betting story, real quick. So I wanted the over on LSU Clemson. I game. know. You
1: talked to me about it before.
2: It was 68 and a half when I talked to you that morning. Right. And I was stressing this whole time. And I thought I got it at 68 and a half. So I did, you know, I bet the over. I parlayed the over with the minus five and a half. Okay. So for some reason, I thought I had that 68 and a half in my head the whole game. And, you know, we get, <laughs> you get to the fourth quarter and you're like, this is a lock. Only one more, you know, score. Da, da, da They don't hit 68 and a half. So I'm like miserable. I am so pissed off that I missed it by like half a point or a point and a half, I think. And then I checked my ticket again. Oh, and it's 66 yes. that I got it at. So I oh,
1: won. You won. That was so you, but you didn't get the experience of enjoying during the game. I didn't. That was so close. And it's funny because the scoring just shut down in yep. the fourth quarter.
2: One, there was only one touchdown.
1: And you know, early, I tweeted something early. It was, uh, they, I think LSU punted like three times. Yeah. The score. I'm like, oh, my God, is the under going to hit? Because I was just talking to our buddy Big Cat about the under. Uh-huh. He's like, he was saying, anybody who bets the under on this game it just doesn't like life, doesn't yeah. like football. Why
2: would you ever want to bet the under on
1: this? I, well, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's sort of the part of my take, don't bet the under on anything. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I, I didn't have a strong feeling about this game because I was like, I've never seen Clemson lose. Why are they going to lose this game? And I still don't quite understand what happened to Trevor Lawrence.
2: Me neither. He, he was, I was just mean, moving three a,
1: seconds too fast. He
2: didn't even throw a touchdown.
1: Well, he ran in one. I, that's, they should have, you know, they started off really good, and then they fell apart. I
2: saw you tweet about this, the T. Higgins uh, pass interference. Oh, I that thought was that ridiculous. was
1: BS. Oh, It was terrible.
2: You mean, he didn't extend his arms but, or anything. He's just a yeah, big guy.
1: But Trevor Lawrence threw a pick early where they gave a really weak defensive pass interference call that, that sal- saved him a little bit. So
2: you're accusing the refs of— The refs were uh, way,
1: the, the refs were very inconsistent. The Pac-12 refs were terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's not a hot take. Nobody likes refs Pac-12. to start with, but the Pac-12 refs, <laughs> that was a disaster. I, I, I'm curious, when you look at draft prospects out of the game, do you overrate LSU and Clemson players just because you saw them last and you saw them on the biggest stage— how do you did, how do you sort of sift through what's the situation and what's real talent? Because, they, you know, you were looking at LSU. It was like, wow, there's 12 NFL guys there. Yeah. It can't really be 12 NFL guys. I mean, there are 12 NFL players, but there can't be 12 NFL stars on the field. And they sure looked like it uh, on Monday night.
2: They did. I mean, I think it absolutely is recently see bias. Like that kid, Queen, the, the linebacker, yeah. and the one defensive MVP. I've never really heard of him prior to um the game on Monday. Right. And he's not even listed on mock drafts in the first round. So but I mean he was he looked amazing. He looked like an NFL linebacker should look, right?
1: Absolutely. So oh my I, gosh. I
2: would I mean if I have a pick and I need a linebacker in the first round, why not Patrick Queen?
1: And I love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I, he's awesome. Is there, any da- I mean, at the, very, very minimum, he's going to be a great third down back in the NFL. Yeah. I think he could be even more. He
2: reminds he's, me of Mark Ingram. He's like a big, low reminds, center you know, he reminds me guy. of gravity guy.
1: Maurice Jones drew a little less explosive. Maurice Jones drew was faster. There's no doubt. But just one of those big like, guys ball. with just gigantic legs. Uh-huh. I have always I like short running backs, but you can't find them. No. They're great. And He, he was making tacklers look so bad. I and, felt bad.
2: I mean, the thing with him is he can run you over and yeah. he can like juke you out, which is like the best of both worlds. You can do both of those things.
1: But the surefire number one overall pick seems to be Joe Burrow, maybe the greatest season in college football history. Mm-hmm. If I'm Joe Burrow, yep. I have my agent call Cincinnati and say, don't do it.
2: Why? Well, I- all right. Is Cincinnati that bad, do you think? I this mean, a, you're a Cincinnati fan. This is get Bengals a little personal.
1: Fans. Let's get personal here. Okay. Let you behind the veil. I am still mad that they benched <laughs> Andy Dalton. I will never forgive Zach Taylor. He benched him on his birthday to go to Ryan Finley, who was not ready, and kind of ruined Andy Dalton's year. And Dalton was not the problem. The problem was all his weapons were hurt. The yeah. defense is consistently terrible. Mm-hmm. So now Joe Burrow is going to walk into the same situation, a coach who's unproven. You know, I don't think AJ Green's going to go back. And if he does, he'll get hurt anyway. Yeah. No weapons. Joe Mixon is wildly overrated. I don't care about the numbers. Really? Oh, look at the first half of the season. The dude like ran to the line. He just would. He's not elusive enough. He is. He's great in open space. He's great when the the defense is guarding the pass, but. He can't do it for you on first down consistently. I do not like Joe Mixon. I'm a, I'm going against the grain there. I know everyone that is else is very against the grain. Yeah, yeah. good end. Of the I, I have a tech chain of Bengals fans, and we all have problems with Mixon. <laughs> I think he's overrated. Then, uh, okay, yeah, I love some. Of the, I love Tyler Boyd, but it proves that he's not number one. So Burrow gets in there. It's a mess. It's yes. just going to be an absolute mess. The defense is the number one problem. Mm-hmm. They were a little better this year, but they. They're still terrible. It's the worst linebacking core I've ever seen, and they didn't do anything to fix it last year. So they're going to have a first-round pick this year. They're going to take a quarterback. You know, they draft Jonah Williams last year. He gets hurt immediately. It just mm-hmm. feels like that they're snake bin So if I'm Joe Burrow, I want to go to Miami. I want to go to the LA Chargers. I want to go to the Carolina Panthers. Who have my his buddy coach at LSU Joe Brady? Yep, and you have the appears to be like the most innovative owner David Tepper and Matt Rule's is going to be Rule. a great coach. Mm-hmm. Maybe go to Jackson. Well, Jacksonville I don't love either. Oklahoma? But or in yeah, Las Vegas, that'd be great. Now? That'd be great. But I do not want to go to Cincinnati. And I know there's a lot of honor in being the number one overall. And I expect Joe Burrow to probably say tell people that okay, you know, I have no choice here, so I might as well mm-hmm. embrace the situation. If I'm Joe Burrow, I say no to Cincinnati. You're looking at me like that's crazy.
2: No. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think, I mean, you would know better than me just being that you watch the Bengals a lot more than I have. But I think you're underrating some of the pieces there. I think Joe Burrow, I mean, uh, Joe Mixon looks a little bit worse because he has nobody on the offensive line. You, re- you returned Jonah Williams, right?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, but, what have you then, seen him do?
2: And Then Billy Price, right? They have. A kid oh, Ohio he's a disaster. St- I mean, yeah, Ohio State.
1: He's a disaster. Their line was a disaster this year.
2: You get Boyd. You got Mixon. You add maybe you get a receiver in one of these. You know, ten it receivers. Is a deep
1: receiver draft. You had yeah.
2: another receiver. John Ross so- showed a little bit of upside this year.
1: John Ross is the most hot and cold player I've ever seen.
2: Maybe, maybe you have something there.
1: Something, yeah. You have one in fifteen. So, and also, if Joe Burrow comes there and doesn't play well, think they run him out of one. town. They're number one pick next year. Going to be looking at the natural Trevor Lawrence. I know Burrow outplayed him, but I think Cincinnati's a messy situation. Okay, we have plenty of time to chop that up. I want to. Have you watched Aaron Hernandez stock on Netflix? I have yet? Not.
2: I was going to go home tonight and watch it.
1: Just set aside a lot of time because once you start watching it, how long is it? It's long. But once you start watching, you'll be so into it. And I think you were in the... I was definitely in the industry at that point, so Mm -hmm. it all feels really familiar. Kevin Armstrong, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, formerly of New York Daily News, was the executive producer along with Dan Wetzel. Kevin's an old friend. Uh, I want to talk to him uh, behind the scenes of how this came about. And some of the choices he made are very interesting. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I still can't believe Aaron Hernandez did this. And I watched a documentary... And it's still baffling that somebody could throw away their life like that. Uh, so let's get right now to Kevin Armstrong. All right, Kevin, uh, you and I go way back. I I assume that you kind of look at me as like sort of a mentor, a hero. I was curious. I haven't gotten to the very end. Is there any kind of thanks to Andrew Perloff at the end of the documentary?
0: I don't know if it's to you specifically, but mm-hmm. I think it's to your uh, long uh just memorable pieces uh, against the grain yeah
1: There's probably so column there I you know it's funny it. so uh we were at sports illustrated together from the get-go you had sort of this bug for investigative journalism that not everybody has like i was i you know i edited peter king who was more of a, like i want to cover the league i want to get the story of the what happened on that interception but you always wanted to dive deep into the controversial story. Is that something that you did consciously or is that just sort of where your interest led you?
0: Yeah, I think I had a taste for it. Um, you know, I like documents. I like digging in on, uh, you know, no matter what the headlines were, just kind of get a little deeper, uh, whether it was speaking to the athletes or, you know, the victims or whoever was, uh, in person or, you know, going around that and using FOIA, you know, uh, using different documents to kind of tell the story that uh, they weren't even willing to, uh, you know, broach or uh, speak to in person kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, you know, I I think there is uh, definitely something there into my roots, uh, stretching back uh, really the span of my career at this point.
1: What was the first big case that you worked or big story, like big controversial story?
0: Yeah. You know, it's ironic right now. Tyreek Evans. um, Oh yeah. has been now in the last year, this season, I believe he's banned from the NBA, but back in high school, uh, he had been at the scene of a shooting and there was, you know, questions of whether he was the getaway driver or if he was just an innocent, you know, uh, driver who, you know, his passenger was involved with the shooting. And, uh, you know, that was kind of probably my first experience with, uh, uh, you know, crime reports and, you know, speaking with the cops and, you know, trying to piece what exactly happened. And, uh, you know, I thought about him a lot in the last year now. Uh, I don't know what the reasoning is exactly. Uh, I have thought about revisiting it actually, uh, you know, what exactly, uh, happened, led him to be suspended this year. But, uh, you know, that's a solid, uh, 12 years ago. Or
1: wow. That, uh, God, I feel like, I feel like that was yesterday. I feel like Tariq Evans was a hot high school recruit, just yesterday, it's funny how these stories, I saw a story on you where some of the stories you covered were Plaxico Burris, Jerry Sandusky, Michael Vick. You did Vick, what year was Vick?
0: Yeah, you know, Vick was a little more the aftershocks. It okay. not necessarily the first wave kind of thing, but yeah. more, you know, what happened afterward. And I did cover him, uh, you know, when he came to both the Jets later, very late in his career. And I did go when he had kind of the renaissance with uh, the Eagles. Yeah, I I was around that. I did go down there a few times for that stuff. That
1: was wild. That was a crazy year uh, when all of a sudden he was hot again. Uh, And then, of course, Aaron Hernandez, 2013. uh, You were there the day he was arrested. First, before we get into the details, it struck me 2013 was a long time ago. Even the footage felt a little dated. And I was thinking about how different the world was. Obama was president. Cord cutting hadn't really started in earnest. You know, sort of the old media was still a little more established than it is now. Did did any of that strike you as you put together the final uh, project, how different the world is seven years later?
0: No doubt. You know, I, I was there from the day he was uh, a suspect, from the day that yeah. uh, Sports Illustrated actually you know broke the news and everything. And I remember... I was in New York at the time. And this was just one of those stories that my editor at the time, Terry Thompson at the New York Daily News, we just kind of had a mutual understanding. You're know, like, if these things happen, I was either getting on a plane or in a car, in this case, just hopping in the car. And I drove up there, uh, spent 14 days, you know, and uh, those 14 days it kind of changed Aaron Hernandez's life. Uh, he went from the first week, he was kind of under suspicion, and there was an investigation going on. He was still coming and going from his house, and by the end, uh, you know, there was Odin Lloyd's funeral. There was Aaron Hernandez being let out of his uh, McMansion in handcuffs, and uh, the Patriots cut him. You know, I, I, to my mind, it was like five minutes later, like you know, the release came out from the Patriots that you know they were disassociating from him and wow. whatnot. So you know, he, he came at one point, um, he came out in his car and, uh, he was going to his lawyer's office and he stopped by Gillette stadium and, you know, the, he was getting the helicopter treatment at that yeah. point. You know, people thought it was like, OJ; he was going to hit the road kind of thing. And he wound up, he just went into Boston, but he stopped at a gas station just to fill up. And, you know, he got the swarm from the, uh, you know, the cameras and everything. And, you know, I was there, I remember like just crossing paths with him and you know, did he, you talk he didn't to say him? anything he didn't say anything you yeah. know I definitely you know put in a question or two whatever it was but uh, you know I this is a guy who a year and a half earlier I had covered at the Super Bowl the Giants Patriots uh, part two and you know I remember just you know here was the kid from Connecticut you know Florida Tebow he caught a touchdown in that Super Bowl from Brady and you know here we, it was a year and a half later whatever it was and uh, you know, he's, he was arrested a few days later.
1: Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I remember that week I was still with Sports Illustrated at some part. It was just such a crazy week. Every day something surprising happened. Uh, so let me ask you about the process of the documentary. You had a lot of, uh, obviously you were there for 14 days. You had a lot of your own uh, reporting, and then you had all the jail recordings, and you had video footage. How massive a project was this to cull everything down to make the documentary?
0: It was a big team. You know, uh, I, I know Gino McDermott's the director and Dan Wetzel and I, you know, executive produced it, but, you know, there's uh, an ace editor. His name is uh, Will Zinederic. Um, he's a master weaver. You know, there's so many elements of the story. You know, there's sisters who are, you know, uh, dating Hernandez and, yeah. who, and, you know, then he kills the what would be his future brother-in-law, essentially. Aaron and his mother, you know, Aaron and his father, a uh, late father. And, you know, there's just so many dynamics to tell. And what we really set out with the, the project that was going to be, you know, this long form and everything is that we've we felt there were headlines, there were pieces. The Boston Globe did a great series about a year ago, and we just felt that the general public really didn't know everything. You know that that everything hadn't been presented together, especially in the visual medium. Yeah, and you know we have the footage of him from high school, college, and pro. You see just how different he was. Like this wasn't just like a fourth string, you know, tight end. This guy was a, a generational talent in terms of his pairing with Gronkowski and what he was able to do. You know, they they ran him as a running back. You know, they uh, <laughs> all these different things that Belichick. Uh, saw in him as a dynamic athlete, and let alone the crime element. You know <laughs> yeah. that, that that's you know what really carried the whole story there.
1: It's interesting. Uh, yeah, th- it's one thing the Boston Globe I thought did a great job on their podcast, but when you see it visually, when you actually see the house a uh, video of him walking around, presumably not too long after the murder, with the gun in his presumably the gun in his hand, the one shot you had of the two sisters hugging. Uh, from the house camera, the visual elements are really, you know, you can read it all you want. When you actually see what's happening, it affects the viewer a lot more. Was that something you were aware that was going to happen?
0: Definitely. That's extremely powerful. There's another scene after, uh, the day after, uh, you know, the murder and, you know, Aaron's in the house and uh, he's with kind of the associates who uh, were with him at the time of the killing. And, you know, the... I remember sitting in the courtroom and watching how powerful that was and, you know, just wondering if we could pull that off. You know, could we get to the point where we could present all of this? And, you know, there's also little videos in there, you know, like there's fans chanting innocent yeah. as, his, as he's carried, you know, into jail, essentially. Yeah. And just stuff like that. We went down some rabbit holes, you know, in terms of just finding archival footage And I I think that's what really makes this documentary uh, pop. Do you know why? Some of those little touches.
1: Absolutely. Do you know why Aaron Hernandez didn't destroy all the video footage, the security footage?
0: Great question. You know, that would be like top five question I would have for him. You know, if he destroys it, I don't think that they convict him.
1: Really? You uh, think that was that important?
0: I think it was huge because it it, not only did it show him where he was, but, you know, it, it, it established a timeline you know, he was there at that time, you know, you can try to explain away whether the gun was in his hand, you know, I think they tried to say it was like a TV remote or, you know, that the jury couldn't tell for sure kind of thing. But, you know, you don't show up, you know, the, uh, the tire marks, everything that linked him back to the crime scene. You know, I think at the end, it, it was somewhat dependent upon, you know, there being, he was in his house at that time. Which is, you know, essentially, I don't know, half mile from the uh, industrial park where he uh, killed Owen Lloyd and left him to die.
1: Oh, the uh, scene also where his girlfriend carried the uh, gun box out the door. There's not, there's no other possible explanation. I watch that. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's carrying the gun. And then they asked her uh, on the stand, "What did you do? Where did you dump it?" She said, "I, jo- I, I dropped it in a dumpster, but I don't remember where." That seems like such an obvious admission of guilt. Think of
0: how often do do you even go to a dumpster? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I would remember the dumpster I went to. You know, I could probably drive you to the dumpster I go to. And you know, like uh, just so much of what she said the jury when we spoke to them afterward just laughed. You know, oh, okay. like you know like even if she didn't get hit with perjury or, you know, whatever the situation was in terms of immunity, whatever, you know, agreements were reached and whatnot, like the fact that she goes up there and it's just like, okay, this just is not a trustworthy person in that sense.
1: How did you decide which jail time calls to use? Did you personally listen to all of them or did editors listen to all of them and decide these are the best?
0: Yeah. I didn't listen to every one of them, but I listened to a large amount and, uh, uh, definitely, you know the team uh, listened as well. Huge, you know that's a voice coming from the grave. You know there there yep. isn't going to be a definitive Aaron Hernandez interview. You know he, he took his life. There's, you know, no you know white whale out there that uh, reporters covering the case were ever going to land and whatnot. So uh, I I think that that dynamic and you you know there's conversations with his mother, his agent. And just the unfiltered conversations that he had with them really shed a light on exactly who he is, you know, like what his worries were, what his thoughts were, you know, speaking with his, uh, young daughter and, you know, he, 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 he and his mother had a terrible relationship, uh, you know, his fiance, he had an up and down and, you know, there are times when he's, she's consoling him and he's consoling, you know, just really, uh, enlightening material there. So when we got the phone calls, you know, we knew that that was just a dynamic that uh, really opened a lot of doors for us to explore just, you know, what was inside that head at that
1: time. Yeah. I mean, it's rare to get uh, that kind of access to a person like, you know, did you, is it common knowledge that calls are made out of prison or the after, like, are they always public records?
0: Yeah, you know what? I I'm not sure that they word it that it's going to be public record, but I I have been in the Bristol County uh House of Correction where he was held before trial. Spoke with the sheriff, I spoke with guards there, took the tour, you know, saw the cell that he was in and everything. And it, the phone that's right there, you know, it, it's spelled out in, you know, clear language, you know, the each of these phone calls is being recorded. Oh, okay. Now The initial thought is, you know, like, don't give up anything that's going to affect your case. Right. So I think you just get comfortable. I think you just, especially if you're held for a long time, a significant amount of time, which it was about two years between his arrest and his trial. You know, I I think you just start speaking openly, you know, uh, no matter what the
1: repercussions are. Okay. Now that you've done all this work, do you feel you better understand how Aaron Hernandez became a killer? I... I still have trouble wrapping my head around a guy with a $40 million contract and all the success could throw it away like that.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think the pivot is around when he loses his father. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's young, you know, he's 16, whatever the age was. Uh, He goes down to Florida, super competitive uh, environment that Urban Meyer was, you know, overseeing at that time. You're the Connecticut kid coming down to the SEC. you got to prove yourself. I think he took that as a challenge kind of thing. And, you know, things were a little crazy in Gainesville at that time. You know, there, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, arrest and different kinds of uh, activities going on in uh, the program there. So I, I think that it was just a toxic cocktail of uh, events that really led him to you know, even perceived threats that you know, or you make them up in his head that weren't necessarily imminent. You know, so I think he carried that. And uh, it didn't help that, you know, he comes back to New England. He has easy access to his hometown. His hometown has easy access to him. You know, I, I think uh, he didn't help himself in terms of, uh, you know, uh, not being drafted uh, higher uh, where it probably wouldn't have been the Patriots.
1: Right. Yeah. Also, I think drugs is obviously a, a drugs the Sure. Spray. I mean,
0: he was smoking a lot of marijuana. Yeah. He was very, you know, out there in terms of the night scene and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't uh, hiding from anybody early on. Eventually, he was hiding from Alexander Bradley. But that's a that's a different vein.
1: So what's the uh, what's the aftermath of the de- debut? Been? You've been hearing from everybody. Has there been anybody upset about any part of the documentary?
0: No, not to my knowledge yet. Um, I haven't heard any uh, negative feedback from you know, anybody who's involved or whatnot. Um, uh, yesterday the, the debuted around like 3 a.m. Eastern, midnight Pacific, and uh, it was the number one trending topic in uh, on Twitter in the U.S. for most of yesterday. So, um, you know, there's. I, I think we were right in the sense that there was much more story to tell than had been out there. And I think that the combination of, you know, this was, you know, murder in the NFL, you know, in terms of that's a powerful billion dollar operation in terms of the league. And here was the guy who was convicted of uh, killing while, uh, you know, a player and everything. So uh, I, I think the, the intrigue was always there. It was our job to, you know, kind of lay out for everybody uh, what may or may not have led to uh, him making the decisions that he did.
1: Uh, Is this something you want to do moving forward, Kevin, is uh, more documentaries along with all the writing you do?
0: Yeah, you know, it it fit like a glove in terms of it's the same mentality. You know, it wasn't a script. It's not fiction. This was about reporting and really uh, providing panoramic reporting where you talk to everybody and you go to every event. And, you know, I've been to funerals, cemeteries, courthouses, a little bit of everything, uh, NFL stadiums, you name it. In terms of trying to understand uh, both Aaron Hernandez and Odin Lloyd and Sofiero uh, Furtado and Daniel De Abreu, the victims uh, along the way, and uh, I think that this, you know, Netflix allowed us uh, to really do justice for everybody in terms of uh, telling the full stories.
1: Great, great. You got a, you got a big. Is there any story out there now that you want to dive into, or are diving into that something out there? Are you gonna maybe? figure out what's going on with this cheating scandal in Major League Baseball. That feels like something you would it, it interest you.
0: Yeah. No, you know, I covered the Mets a bunch last year for the New York Times and uh, uh, Carlos Beltran.
1: I know. We <laughs> knew ye, you. Know? Yeah, I know. The producer <laughs> of this podcast uh, is, is shaking his head right. He's very upset that Carlos Beltran is taking the fall for this. Um, I know
0: the mind of the Met fan very well so yeah. I, can, uh, I can explore <laughs> that at some point as well but yeah that'd be a rich topic well
1: I'm right. a Phillies fan and that and that is the last documentary I would watch is the mind of a Met fan because it's a dark dark place let's face it if,
0: if you thought this one was dark so. <laughs>
1: yeah. well I don't know if that's fair now but I like it all right Kevin congratulations I'm really proud of you and uh, yeah I can't wait to see what's next buddy
0: thanks so much Andrew always appreciate
1: it <laughs> That was Kevin Armstrong, executive producer of the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix. Uh great job by Kevin. He is, he's an awesome reporter, one of those best of sports writing books guys and you can hear a lot more from him. Now, I are you proud that I brought you in on Carlos Beltran there? I'm so pissed off about this situation. I really this is the most
2: mad I think I've been about a sporting subject in a really long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I Last
2: time I was mad about a sport event was actually involved Carlos Beltran 2006 and he took the curveball and we didn't advance to the World Series
1: so but you're are you're not mad at him anymore now you're mad for him I'm
2: mad for him yeah so you think it was unfair
1: yeah I mean if
2: MLB decided not to suspend him why
1: should he step down well because he obviously was a ringleader in the scandal If you're the Mets, do you really want this? Like, why do you have to have this stain from another team that you didn't even get the wins off of?
2: But my thing is why, if, you know, there was reasonable calls that he, you know, whatever, why didn't MLB take it in their hands to put sanctions on him as well? They did it for Hinch. They did it for Luna. Because they weren't doing players. They should. But, I mean, so why should he, so if they weren't doing players, why should he get punished for this now? This has something, nothing to do with the yeah. Mets. Like, I just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like this sets a precedent for now. Like, should any Astros player from that team be allowed to coach or get a managerial job going
1: forward? Well, honestly, I, I'd be nervous about hiring somebody. I I don't know. I'm not going to dive into baseball here because it's a football podcast. <laughs> but do you know that I don't think people are talking enough about that yeah. Altuve MVP? Yeah, I mean that is that's got an asterisk, too. Oh yeah. He seems like a guy who knew a pitch was coming a lot.
2: Yeah. Well, he hit like over 300 that year and all these home runs.
1: Yeah, it feels like. I could see that. And he knows how to turn around on a fastball, too. Yes, he does. <laughs> I, 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 was, I hated when uh, the Phillies face that guy. He's, he's a tough hitter, too, because there's no strike zone. He's just so small. No, he's so
2: small on everything. I mean, he can hit pretty much anything, even if it's outside of the strike zone. He's yeah, a really good hitter. And he's
1: got such a compact stroke. It's really good. What were we going to say?
2: I was going to ask you a baseball question. Hey, maybe.
1: No, why not? Who cares?
2: Which one, what do you think is worse, the steroid era or uh, this?
1: Steroid era. Because this is just, there's always seen, you know, there's legal sign stealing. Uh-huh. This is just pushing something just a little bit farther. Further. Steroid was, it was such a big deal. I I was around for McGuire, Sosa. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, like you would actually run home to watch a Barry, Barry Bonds at bat. Yeah. It was such a big deal. Uh, you you? Yeah, it was—oh, my God. Uh Barry Bonds I was into. I like—I love home runs. I'm a big home run. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I I value that stat so
2: much. (laughs) And you know I love
1: lefty home runs, too. So Bryce Harper's my guy. (laughs) So I was big into power hitting. Yeah, I was totally into it, but it turned me off. There's a couple things that hurt my baseball fandom was the 94 strike was a killer. Right when Ken Griffey Jr. was a 94 or 95. Anyway, Ken Griffey Jr. was— 94
2: thing. That was one.
1: Yeah, Griffey Jr. was my guy. I loved him when he came out. And then they just sort of screwed up the whole season, and that mm-hmm. was that was bad. And then when the steroids turned on them, that was bad too. Yeah, that was way worse. This will this will come and go. In fact, I don't even know if this is a bad thing for baseball. I mean, Little cheating getting, never hurt.
2: And they're getting a whole to- homo- much like ton of pub. I mean, yeah. we wouldn't be talking about baseball right now. Yeah, if that didn't happen. I su- Mike Piazza came out today and he said, "Oh, we would have never done this in our era. Yeah, you were just juicing." Like, yeah. Or how, oh, I know. Why would you come out and say anything?
1: Seventy-five percent of the people in this building right now did not know AJ Hinch, Alex Gore, and Carlos Beltran were managers of the <laughs> <All> team. <street laughs> and AJ Hinch just won the World Series. Yeah. They definitely didn't know Beltran was the Mets manager. No, and probably half the uh, you know baseball is really falling off nationally. We're a national show, the Dan Patrick show, uh-huh. so it's hard to do baseball. This yep. has been a way to do it in a way that to me is not that harmful to the sport. It stinks for the Astros. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, football has had these huge cheating scandals in the last 15 years. Ratings have keep on going up. Deflategate, Spygate, Bountygate. Yeah. Ratings go up, 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 up. Because I don't, as long as you don't question the integrity of the entire game, and I think mm. you did that during baseball steroid era, as yeah. long as you don't question the integrity of the whole game, it's fine. So, for example, Deflategate was great TV. It was yeah. awesome. It I mean, so much fun. Read,
2: the deflator, you hear like, yeah. I hear that in a Boston yeah. accent. Yeah. I mean, and it's something like memorable.
1: There's no analogy, but Kevin was talking about hearing those jail calls uh-huh. from the Aaron Hernandez case. Just the fact that we got to see these texts behind the scenes or what goes on with the Patriots. Yeah. That's incredible drama. So cheating is, not in, in my mind, and I'm actually stealing this from the book for economics. Cheating for a sport is not always bad if it can generate interest. It's just, you know, it's a fine line. I, I hope people don't. Watch baseball in April and say, "I oh, like, this is all fake. Yeah. But science ceiling's gone on forever, so what's it's just pushing it a little too far.
2: I mean, reality TV is fake and people still watch it.
1: That's true. Pro so, wrestling is very popular. Very scripted. By the way, my guy Rocky Johnson, Sorry the about. Rock's dad, yeah. yeah R.I.P. Yeah. I tweeted out the other day, uh, My one of my first matches was Rocky Johnson versus Magnificent Don Morocco. Where at? Spectrum in Philadelphia. I used to show up. I you think I'm like a book nerd? I used to show up wearing my Roddy Piper white t shirt with the red trim. And I was like, Were you I,
2: wearing the skirt too?
1: I didn't wear no, Nobody wore the, it. A, it's a kilt. Sorry, the kilt. Yeah. Roddy, <laughs> Roddy, if he was still with us, would kill you right now for calling it a skirt. Well, I'm, fat, I'm about to throw a chair at you. What are you talking about, skirt? You've already, yeah, I was a huge pro wrestling fan. I was, it turned out I was a little too early because like, when i you know when i broke into the sports business pro wrestling was looked down upon now yeah. everybody reports on it espn yeah. does it uh, but rocky johnson was awesome the Rock's dad. he was super cool i don't think he had any moves like his big move was like a right handed punch i can't remember that he had any other uh, moves no
2: i was way after that era my era was like stone cold steve austin yeah. awesome um the rock so yeah, so, DX. So,
1: that's funny you say that. So like nowadays, like there are some people out there who consider that old school wrestling.
2: Oh yeah, that's like that was the prime of wrestling. What people considered a prime of wrestling. I
1: yeah, think. well there was a big explosion with Hulk Hogan when I was into it. Okay. Hulk Hogan that got really popular. Then it sort of simmered down, and then Steve Austin came along, and those guys in The Rock and it yeah blew up again. Uh, Triple H, you know. But honestly, like I, I, you go to your era of wrestling. Whatever era you were a ten year old in, yeah. That's the best era of wrestling. Oh of course. Yeah.
2: Showing up to, I used to show up to uh, you know, the, the matches as well. I used to go to one to Madison Square Garden and I'd come up with the sign.
1: Oh, so you went to the garden? I, yeah. Oh, we're both pro wrestling nerds, yeah. I, oh I, I had a sign. Did you yeah. what was it? Oh Jimmy Snuka, Superfly.
2: I always wanted to do there was a group called DX. Yeah. I don't know if you remember them. No. They were there was like a a group of like just like they were like badass and they used to like against the regime, right? Or against the green. Right, yeah. um, So they used to do this thing called Suck It. And as a 10-year-old, I wanted to put Suck It in a big sign but my mom never let me. <laughs> so it was like stone cold or the rock bottom I, I thing I did on a sign once. <laughs> that's so funny. All
1: right. Uh, that's been against the grain of kind of a wide-ranging one here. Yeah. Joe Burrow and Bangles. By the way, my Twitter is killing it. The Bangles Twitter got a hold of something I said about Joe Burrow on Dan Patrick show. They're destroying me.
2: What, what was the fallout of – I just saw this quick. Speaking of Twitter – what was the fallout that a <laughs> couple years, freezing cold takes?
1: Oh, that I on draft night I said, why did the Panthers take Luke keekley That get resurfaced. It. Yeah, well, freezing cold takes Fred is a friend of mine, and uh-huh. he's like, I got to do this to you. Every draft, the first one he puts out, he goes, I'm going to send out bad draft takes, and this is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you can get an inside linebacker anywhere. And I'm a huge Luke Keekley fan. Yeah, You don't know, have a nickname for him. What I, is it? I call him the Matrix because he's like one of the bad guys in the Matrix. Wherever the play goes, he just appears there at the uh-huh. end of it. I don't know how he does it. He's <laughs> on both sides of the field simultaneously. He's the most ridiculous. You ever bet against the Panthers and have Keekly blow up your offense? It's the worst. He's. An amazing player. Him and Bobby Wagner, my two favorite linebackers. Those guys are great. But I guess I dissed him on draft night. and
2: You guessed. You didn't even get the pick right. He was <laughs> taken ninth. You <He> said tenth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was the early days of Twitter. Nobody was. Wa- I didn't think anyone was watching. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah. Congratulations on a great career. Luke Kikli, great dude, too. Uh, so that's against the grain. We're not going to mention any more bad tweets from the past. Hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe, and we'll be back soon.